Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 7. Hebrews 3, 7 verse, uh, through verse 19 to start with. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, going to verse 19. The Hebrew writer goes on to say, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Now see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly, till the end, the confidence we had at first. As just has just been said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So we're going to stop here for now and, and try to talk about this passage. Now in order to do so, uh, I want you to understand the Hebrew writer has just finished warning those people that who may turn away from Christ due to a lack of real lasting faith. That's where we left off last time. Remember, the last thing he said was, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And we dealt last week with, if you've truly been born again, the Spirit of God is the one who keeps you safe and keeps you protected from the evil one. You don't lose your salvation, you can't. But there are those who profess it, who don't possess it, and those are the ones who could walk walk away and he doesn't know his audience fully. He understands there's a group of people he's trying to speak to and so he encourages the believers yet warns those who may not know the Lord. Now he's just finished that and now he wants to go into a little bit more detail though in his warning to those who are considering turning away from Christ. And what he does is he quotes from a passage in Psalm 95. So put a bookmark here in Hebrews and go with me back to Psalm 95 verses 1 through 11. Now, some of you will recognize some of this psalm, because it's actually some of our songs come from this psalm. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 95, and then we're going to go back and look even further back in the, Bible, in the Old Testament to, to see where it's coming from. Alright, Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11. The psalm says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving. And extolled him with music and song. For the Lord is, a great, is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Now, I want you to understand, did, did anybody notice as we were reading in Psalms there that it was a worship praise song, and then all of a sudden there was this break? Today. Don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And usually when you see that happen in the Psalms, the Spirit of God is prophesying in some way and saying something that's going to be of value down the road as much as, of course, all the Scriptures are valued down the road. But here in this passage, the Hebrew writer is going back to this passage and quoted from here, and he's using it for a point and a purpose, which I'm not going to get to right yet. Because what I want to do, not knowing everybody here and your biblical understanding or your background, I want to make sure that you're up to speed. I don't want to just assume that you know what the Hebrew writer assumed his hearers knew. I want to go back and talk about this situation, this story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where the people rebelled against God. The nation of Israel rebelled against God. And so in order to do that, I want you to put another bookmark in Psalm 95. And we're going to come back there. But I want you to go with me to Numbers chapter 14. Now, in this passage, as you know, hopefully, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, 
has been set free from bondage in Egypt. God has used Moses to, to let his people go. Uh, they left across the Red Sea by the miracle of God. They're in the desert. They're heading toward the promised land. And there came a point where the nation of Israel came right to the promised land that God had said he would take his people to. And... Twelve spies went into the land to go look at it. And for 40 days they went into this land and examined it. God had said, I'm going to give it to you. The twelve spies came back. We're in Numbers chapter 14 where we're going to pick up. The twelve spies come back and report what they saw. And they say, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there. And the cities are, are fortified. And yes, the land is fertile. And a lot of beautiful things, wonderful things grow there. But we just don't think we can, we can do this. Two of the people, Joshua and Caleb, both said, hey, God said we can do it. It's going to work. Let's go. But because of the other ten's report, the people of Israel lost heart, and they were afraid, and they doubted. And verse, chapter 14, verse 1, shows us what happens. Let's, let me read it for you. It says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and all, the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Remember last week when we were looking at how they're revering Moses and how the Jews so many years later were bragging about Moses? Here it shows you how well he was respected at that time. They said, You know what? This guy's going to get us in trouble. He's going to get us killed. Let's choose somebody else and just go back to Egypt. It's amazing. But then again, if we're faithful to be honest about who we really are, don't we sometimes go back to stuff that God set us free from? That's what the Hebrews were thinking about doing. They're thinking about going back. We do. We. They want. They. It's sad. But you know what? I have to be honest. Sometimes you know God through Christ has set me free from sin. Yet sometimes I go back to that garbage as a dog returns to its vomit. The Scripture says. We have a tendency to go back. I remember when I watched the Passion of the Christ movie years ago. As I sat there watching it, the thing that kept going through my mind was, Jesus went through all this to take away my sin. Why do I want to keep hanging on to it? But they wanted to go back. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. So in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Talk about humility. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have, seen fate, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say that the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the desert." Now, look, and I love this part. Don't miss this. Moses says, May the Lord's strength be displayed. Just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses says to God, wait a minute, God, you said you want to just wipe them all out now and start over with me. 
but that won't look good for you because your name has already been proclaimed in this area. People are hearing about what you've done, how they passed through the Red Sea by your hand and how you lead us, how you're being seen face to face. Word has gotten out about you and if you wipe them all out, it won't look good for you. And by the way, that's not the first time Moses has said this to God. Remember back when God gave him the Ten Commandments and he was coming down the mountain the first time and they were all, you know, worshiping the golden calf. And God said, get out of the way, Moses, I'm going to kill him. And, and Moses said, that won't look good for you. But this time, Moses adds to what he, he has said before, and he quotes God. He said, remember, you said that you were slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, and so on. Does anybody remember when God had said this? We've seen it in our study already. Remember when we went and looked at Moses seeing the glory of God? And how God said, you cannot see my face. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'll put my hand over you as I pass by. And then I'm going to let only my goodness be seen by you. Remember that? And when God in Exodus 33 and 34 showed His glory to Moses, what did He say? He proclaimed His name, the Lord, abounding in love, full of compassion, slow to anger, forgiving the sin of the people, yet not ignoring sin as He talks about here. And what's so awesome is Moses pretty much says, you know what? I remember a guy who introduced himself to me and said, I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. Here's what I'd like to see. I want, you to, I want to see that guy. Display your strength right now. And as much as you have a right to wipe us out, could you show us that side as a nation? Could you forgive us? And God then, we stopped here in verse 19. If he goes on, God says, it's already forgiven. But I tell you what, there are going to be consequences. They're not going to go into the land. They think that I'm going to have their children die out here in the desert. I'll tell you what. I'm going to let their children go into the promised land. And I'm going to have them die in the desert. And so what I want you to understand is, is there, there's something here for all of us. Because there are going to be times in our life that we have to hang on to who God is and what He said. And in those times where it, it looks like things are unfair, if it looks like things are not working out like we thought they would, folks, that's when you need to speak in love, but firmly to God and say, your word says you are, and I'm not moving. Your word says that you are, and I'm not going to be afraid. Your word says that you, this is how you act, and I'm going to believe it. But you need to know what He said. You need to know who He really is. The sad thing is, many of us, because we've been saved by grace but raised under law in our churches, we don't really know who He is. We think He's a God that only will bless if you say the magic words or if you've been good enough. We really don't understand the position that we've received as His children and who we are and what it means to be in a relationship with God as His sons and His daughters and positionally secure and holy and righteous, yet He's in the process of working on us. And as we begin to really understand the gospel and the message of grace and what Jesus has accomplished and the fullness of what Jesus has accomplished, you'll be able to pray and say, God, even though this looks like you're angry with me, I know you're not. I know you're not. Because you've already clearly said that you poured out your full wrath on Jesus Christ, so you can't be angry with me. And Lord, I know this feels like I'm being punished. But your word is clear that fear has to do with punishment in 1 John 4.18. But the one who fears has not been made complete in love because perfect love casts out fear. And so Lord, even though it feels like punishment, I know you're not punishing me right now. This is from your hand of love. And this is for my best. Chris, you want to say something? Yes, Yes. You got it. Yes. Well, and that's exactly it, because it'd be, otherwise it would look like God's pretty wishy-washy here, doesn't it? You know? Oh, I'm, I'm going to kill him. And Moses has to calm God down. No. What he's doing, exactly. That's not who, how it works. God is having Moses display his faith in who God is and what God has said. I mean, let's be honest. The Bible teaches us that God asks us to ask for things that he already wants for us. Doesn't Jesus say, pray the Lord of the harvest, that He would send workers into the harvest field? Well, does God not want workers in the harvest field? Of course He does. Well, why is God teaching us to ask for something He already wants? 
It's about relationship. It's about relationship. And He wants us to be a part of what He's doing. That's why when God had already decided that He was going to bomb Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin, He then, as He's heading toward, from Abraham to Sodom and Gomorrah, He says to Abraham, or He says, actually thinks out loud, shall I hide this thing I'm about to do from my friend? And then He goes and He tells Abraham, here's what I'm about to do. Of course, Abraham says, would you spare this city if there were so many righteous? You know, if there were that many, I would spare it. Would you spare it if there were this many? And he keeps lowering the number. And he gets down to what number? Five. Gets down to number five. And there weren't. He says, if there were that many, I'd spare it. And then the judgment came. But I want you to understand this. Is God already knew what He was going to do. But He was working in a relationship. Do you realize sometimes in your life... God might actually push you a little bit to the point that you would fess up and say, I'm afraid. Good. I knew you were afraid, but now that you've acknowledged it, we can deal with it. I hang on. I believe in you. Good. That's what I wanted to hear. I already knew you did. Don't you think, too, uh, when, when uh, Moses first started out, He himself complained to God. Yeah, but you see on the mountain, and now again, you see his love toward the people. He's got shown compassion. compassion for Which is also God's heart. Right. Yep, you're right. That's very good, Duke. That's excellent. Folks, I want you to understand this. Is you have a God who you've entered into a relationship with. Stop seeing Him as a God who's measuring your do's and your don'ts. Stop seeing Him as, as a judge who's deciding whether or not you're on his good side or his bad side. But understand that you're in a relationship with him. And he's just wanting you to be honest and to open up and to fess up. That's why God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? Did he not know? Of course he knew. But he wanted them to acknowledge where they were so that he could then start from there and take them to where he wanted them to be. You just can't start somewhere until you know where you are. You know, it's kind of like the old thing that the GPSs now. You'll put in your destination, but then the thing will ask you for what? Where are you right now? <laughs> you know, what's your starting point? <laughs> what's your starting point? That's what I want you to understand. God wants to do the same thing with you, but you're in a relationship with a God, so you got to know who He is. You got to know His heart. You got to know what His word has said, and then you got to hang on to that truth. And that's what what's going on here. Is God? And Moses says, "I remember a guy who told me this." I want to see that. And God says, you got it. It's already forgiven. Now, go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. It is 10. Did you win on that one? It was 10? I all of a sudden, after I said 5, I thought, wait a minute, he might be right. There were 5 that, he, that, he, that were spared. There was a number that they ended with was 10. But when he was first asked, if he would spare it for... It started with 50. Five less than 50. Five less than 50. That's where the number. But there were actually, the, next, the number was 10. If there were 10, I'd spare it. But there were five that were taken out. It was the five that were taken out, as I remember. But go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 through 36. Because there's something here in, in uh, Moses' repeating of their story and their history. Uh, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law or the repeating of the law. And, and so Deuteronomy is kind of like a recapping of what's happened during their exodus and all that time. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, we're looking at how Moses describes that episode that we just looked at in the book of Numbers. Starting in verse 26, talking about the rebellion there at the, at the land of Canaan. He says, but you, chapter 1 verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey 
in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, He was angry and solemnly swore, Not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants on the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Do you see how Moses described why they didn't go? It was because of their unbelief. Because they didn't trust God and what He said He would do. The reason they didn't enter was a lack of faith. Go ahead. And all throughout this, Lord is the name Covenant Lord in their language. He kept reminding them, Covenant, He made this covenant with us to death. He made this covenant and you're still throwing it back in His face. Yep. You don't believe that I really do. Now, go back to Psalm 95. But Jim, this is not much different than us in that they were looking for a change of circumstance, not for who God was, and He's the one part out of who He is. <laughs> and it's the same with us. We want to change the circumstance. We don't want to get to know who God is. That's a really good point for those that didn't hear what Chris just said. They're more interested in the change of circumstance than really getting to know who God is. And that's why they're missing out. But that, what you reminded me, Chris, by saying that is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in His what? Sufferings. You know, we always stop at, I want to know Christ. But are we willing to really understand that that's where you get to know who He really is? Folks, I, I can't say it any more than, than, than this. If you really, really want to get to know who God is, you have to go through trials. You have to go through sufferings. You have to come outside of your ability to provide and to take care of yourself. You have to watch how He is able to really be there and to take care and to give you the peace and the grace. And that's where you really get to experience who God really is. And it only happens through trials. And in Psalm 95, though, there's something very interesting here. Look at what it says at the end of verse 7 into verse 8. I don't want you to miss this. He says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my wrath, They shall never enter my rest. Now there's something here that the Hebrew writer is pulling out that a lot of people probably have missed, and maybe you have as well. The Hebrew writer points out and says, Hang on for a second. Look at how he uses the word today. Even though he's referring to a story that we just looked at in some detail, even though he's referring back to a time when the nation of Israel, because of unbelief, did not go into the promised land, the the psalmist is saying there's still an opportunity to enter his rest. Yes, I said they won't enter my rest, but the psalmist, the Spirit of God speaking through him, is saying today... Don't harden your hearts as they did back then. And I said, they won't enter my rest. And the Hebrew writer is going to go on to say, as you're going to see in just a little bit, that there is still an opportunity to enter His rest. They missed out on entering His rest. But you can still enter His rest. Otherwise, He wouldn't have used the word today. Because this was written in the book of Psalms. This was written a lot of years later. And so what we're going to do is, I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 3 now. I want to show you a few places where it just keeps pointing out that aspect of the word today. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. So it says, so as this Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end of the confidence that we had at first. As just has been said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then we're going to jump into chapter 4, verses 1-11. through I want to read this whole section to you. We're going to break it down in a lot more detail next time we get together. But I need to read chapter 4, verses 1-11 through because it continues the thought of what the Hebrew writer was saying. Alright? I thank God for the people that took the time to break the Scriptures down into chapter and verse. But sometimes they really broke a flow by doing so. 
And we tend to read chapter and stop. And then tomorrow I'll pick up chapter 4. And we miss the flow here. Because as you're about to see, chapter 4 is a continuation of what we have as chapter 3. And I don't want you to separate them. Alright? So look at what he says now in chapter 4, verses 1 and following. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you should be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. We'll have to get into that next week. We're not going to have time for that tonight. About how they had the gospel preached to them, just like we did. A lot of times we have a hard time saying, well, how did they have the gospel preached? Well, we know what the gospel is. When did they have the gospel preached to them? You'll have to wait till next week, and I'll answer that one next week. Alright? But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so today, I, I, so, I, so I declared all my oath and my anger, they shall not, never enter my rest. Quoting from Psalm 95. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later He spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, quoting from Psalm 95. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. See, this is what the Hebrew writer is trying to get to finally. He's been talking about those who may fall away or walk away or don't hang on to their hope and their confidence that they have in Jesus Christ. And he goes back to the story of the nation of Israel coming right to the promised land, but because of unbelief, walking away because they did not believe that God was able to do what He said He would do, and they walk away. Yeah, they said they, they were afraid of the giants. <laughs> it sure does. We have lots of people that come alongside of us and say, yeah, you're stupid to trust God in this situation. You need to, you need to get some insurance. You know? And so here's what I want you to understand. First of all, there is a rest that's still being offered. See, a lot of people talk about when God says, they shall never enter my rest. They're thinking it was the promised land. But the Hebrew writer clearly says it can't be with the promised land that he was talking about if he's still offering that rest. Because look at what he says in, in verse 8. He said, For if Joshua had given them rest, remember Joshua was the one that took them into the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So it can't be the going into the promised land is the rest that God was talking about when He said, they shall never enter my rest. See, when God made that statement, they shall never enter my rest, we think He's saying they can't go into the promised land. God was not talking about the promised land when He talked about His rest. What is this rest then that He's talking about? Well, the Hebrew writer then traces it all the way back to creation. Remember, God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And so let's go back and take a look real quick at verses 3 through 10 here in chapter 4. It says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, His work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in these words. By the way, this is Genesis 2 2. And on the seventh day, God rested from all His work. And again in the passage above, He says, They shall never enter My rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later He spoke through the David, as was said before, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For Here's the key. Anyone who enters God's rest also...
also rests from His own work, just as God did from His. Folks, does anybody, hopefully you understand what that rest is now. What is this rest that He's offering us? It's salvation. Now let me just tell you though, how many people in the church today have not entered that rest. They think they're Christians, but they have not entered that rest. Let me give you an example. I was up in Virginia, and I was invited over to these people's house, and uh, we sat down at this big table, and there was a bunch of folks, and as we are going around, and I just wanted to get to know who they are, tell me your name, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just try to find out if they know the Lord. But I don't sit there and say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, because first of all, I'm not sure that's the best way to go about it. And secondly, there are those people who say, yeah, but they don't. And one of the ways that I help people come to that realization on their own is, I'll ask them to tell me their story. Tell me how you came to know Jesus. Now, for someone that has never entered into a relationship with Him, their answer will be, well, I've been going to church ever since I was a kid. And I say, no, I'm not asking about your church attendance. When did you come to know Jesus? And a lot of times they'll look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. I actually had a chance of leading a man to the Lord in Chicago by doing that. He had actually, he was a wealthy man and he had hired me to teach his son basketball because his son was very good at basketball, but he and his wife were short and his son was never going to be tall. And he knew that I had played college basketball and he, he actually would rent out a whole gymnasium by himself and he would bring me in to teach and work with his son for an hour or two on basketball skills and stuff so his son would be good enough to play in college, even though he wasn't going to be tall. And then after I would work with his son, we went back to his house and had pizza. And I said, tell me, I mean, you've been a member of the church. I'm the, I'm the pastor. I was pastor of that church. He'd been there for 12 years. Tell me your story of how you came to know Jesus. He said, what are you talking about? I said, uh, your testimony. He goes, I don't know what you mean by testimony. He said, I said, I don't want to hear about your church attendance. I want to know is when you came to know Jesus. And he sat there and he goes, you know what? I don't think I have a testimony. Actually, if I did, I probably would know. <laughs> so I don't think I know what you're talking about. And I had the chance to not only lead him, but his son to faith in Christ that night. And it was so cool and so real to see him be transformed as he trusted Jesus as his Savior. And it was years ago, I was at a, a few years later, I, I was at a Promise Keepers event. And we we're sitting in Soldier Field with 60,000 men. And the evangelist asked everyone who had been led, the, led to the Lord by somebody else introducing them to Christ one-on-one -on -one, to stand up. And this man was sitting right in front of me and he stood up. And then he turned around with tears in his eyes and he said, Thank you. Man, had been to church 12 years. But nobody had talked to him about his relationship with Jesus. Now back to this house in Virginia. I get to this one lady. She's in her 80s. Long time church member. And I said, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a Christian. I said, that's great. Tell me about what's Jesus been saying to you lately. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, let me ask you a simple question. I said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And she said, I believe I would. I said, that's awesome. How do you know? This is what she said. She said, because I believe Jesus died for my sins and I'm trying to live as good as I can. Has she... Well, how does it work here? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Had she entered into his rest? Or did she think it was God did his part and I do my part and together we're going to get me to heaven? Folks, if you're sitting here right now, or if you're listening on the web, and you think that you and Jesus are going to get you to heaven, you're not going. I'm sorry. I want you to know the truth, though. I'm glad you're hearing it now. It's got to be a full trust that Jesus is the one who's done it, and not you. Well, doesn't He want us to do good works? Don't worry. He'll take care of all that stuff. Stop trying to get the cart before the horse. Enter His rest. Stop trying to work for heaven. And believe that Jesus will do what He said He would do. Believe that God will do what He said He would do. And that He will save you if you fully just trust that what He did covers you. Now in this passage though, I want to then take you to a few other places where, the, where God offers us this rest. Go to Matthew chapter 11. By the way, I wish I could tell you that that lady's story ended nice. All she thought was I was just a rude young man. 
we also know that the Word of God is powerful. And the seed was planted and we'll let, let it go from there. Matthew chapter 11, listen to what Jesus says in verse 28 and following. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, what's that word again? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, I hope there isn't a person listening right now that doesn't... I hope you're not saying when someone says, are you going to heaven? I hope you don't say, I hope so. I hope you know so because you're at rest in the promise of God. Let me show you a couple places in the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 62, 1 and 2. Now, I'm showing these passages for a reason. Not just because they have the word rest in them because we need to go somewhere as we wrap this up tonight. In Psalm 62, listen to verses 1 and 2. David says this, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Look at verses 5 through 8. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Well, here's what I want to deal with in the time we have left. How do we enter rest, yet still have a yoke? Didn't Jesus say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light? How do we enter rest and still have burden? How do we enter rest and still struggle at the same time? Because here he says, find rest in God alone. He's my refuge. What do you need a refuge from? Well, not just ourselves, but the world. And You have a refuge because you're getting hit. That doesn't sound like rest to me. You're, you're letting Him deal with it. But see, for so many of us, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, that's so far from the truth. God wants me to do something. Actually, I'm going to find... I'm going to tell you, the first thing He wants you to do is stop trying to fix it and trust Him. And when, exactly. When you least expect it or how you would even expect it, He does it. But how many of us are willing to get to that point? Remember when the nation of Israel was standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptians were bearing down on them? All Moses said was this, Stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. You're nuts, Moses. God's given me a brain. He wants me to use it. You ever heard those? Folks, rest in the fact that He will do what He said He would do. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus said in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The victory and the power is in me. I'm going to do it. How do we do this? We do this by faith in God and faith in His Word. And you hang on to that when everything else seems to be falling apart. When nothing else makes sense. You hang on and you stand still until you see the salvation of the Lord. Not just your salvation. That's already been taken care of. But Him providing and coming through. Now there will be times that He'll say, Okay, put your hand out over the, over the water. I'm going to part it. There are going to be times He's going to say, Pick up the ark and step into the Jordan River. There are going to be times He's going to say, Take those 300 men and blow the trumpets. There are going to be times He's going to say, Take this five loaves and two fish and go tell the people to sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds. There will be a time that God says, Here's what I want you to do do in trusting me. But listen, He doesn't give His instructions until you trust. Do you understand? We say, tell me what it is and I'll trust you. He says, no, I want you to trust me. Then I'll tell you what I want you to do. And folks, that's where we miss it. Because we've, 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 we've spiritualized work. We've spiritualized doing for God. God, just tell me and I'll do it. God, I want to do what you want. God, what is your will for my life? God, just tell me and I'll... We're like Jacob. We are like Jacob. 
if you'll do this, then you'll be my guy. Exactly. And then God says, no. I want you to trust that I will provide. Trust that I will come through. And when you trust, I'll do it. And I'll tell you what it is you're to do. If there's anything you're to do, I'll tell you then. But He doesn't give the instruction until you rest. Let me show you two verses that talk about this. And here's the last part of this as well. Part of the reason why we struggle with, why is, how would we enter rest yet still struggle in this life? How do we enter rest yet still have a yoke and a burden? Partially because the fullness of this rest, folks, doesn't happen in this life. We learn how to rest in this life, but when the Bible talks about this rest, you're going to see that later in our study of Hebrews, it's talking about when we leave this place and go to the real world. You can have rest in this life. You can have joy and peace in this life. But the fullness of this rest will not happen until we get there. Alright? Go to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 18. Look what Paul says here. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Don't go any further. If you can, if you have time, meditate tonight on that. Seriously, just read that verse before you go to sleep and let God speak to you. Chew on it for a while. Mull it over. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, once we get there, the stuff that right now has got us so bothered won't even cross our mind. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 8.18. Again, Get alone and just let Him speak to you. I want you to learn how to meditate on the Word of God. This is how He speaks. See, we've turned study, we've turned knowledge into a course. I, I read the book, I was asked the questions, I wrote the correct, correct answer in the, in, the, in the blank. I got an A, and then that book goes on the shelf, and we really didn't learn, but we passed the course. And we do the same thing when it comes to our study of God's Word. I found that I'm reading more but actually chewing on smaller parts. I'm reading a whole lot more because I really believe God loves me. And this is a lot of cool stuff here, but I'm spending more time chewing on just small little segments. And a lot of times with guys that I hang out with, we'll say, what's God been talking to you about? What's something He's showing you right now? And we'll say, okay, here's something I'm wrestling with. Here's something I'm chewing on right now. And God begins to speak to our hearts. Let me show you one other passage for tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I love this. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. That's in Psalm 116, by the way. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We're learning to rest. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's how you learn to rest. I was reading that just now and had this thought. How would I be viewed as a pastor? 
if I would go to someone's bedside with cancer and say, oh, this is light momentary troubles, don't worry about it. <laughs> I thought, I just literally thought went through my head about how people would say, get out of here. You know, you're no help at all. But look at what he's saying. Because his view was on who God is and what he said, and because he wasn't living for this life, Paul, who went through more than you and I could ever imagine, said, our light and momentary troubles... Well, he didn't. He hadn't been through what I. Have you been stoned and dragged outside a city and left for dead? Have you been beaten? Have you been shipwrecked? Have you been received forty lashes? <laughs> Sorry, thirty-nine. Yes, you, you legalists. That was the. <laughs> you were counting now, folks. I don't want to poo-poo the struggles that you and I face. Yet, I don't want to glorify them either. See, a lot of times we think we'll get more glory because we've got bigger scars. You ever notice that about us as humans? Someone will say, look where I cut myself. Oh, that's nothing. Look, i got a chainsaw right here. You know, we, we, we want to see who's got the biggest pain. But actually, the Bible says that these things we're going through will become in our mind light and momentary troubles if we've learned to rest. Learn to rest. You're going to rest one day. But the Bible says that rest is available for you and I today. In the midst of a yoke and a burden and in need of a refuge. And then the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Folks, I pray that for you. I'm learning to do it. Oh, you're going to see, as we skipped over a section, and back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Do you see it? Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end of the confidence we had at first. Folks, there are people all around us who, because of the fact that they didn't have real faith, when trouble comes and they have no root, they fall away. We know of people that have turned their backs on Jesus because He wasn't there for them and their definition of there for them. Or they expect that He was going to give them their best life now, and it's not their best life now. We need to come alongside and keep pointing them back to who He really is. And I pray that one day their eyes will be open to see who He really is and they'll fully trust Him. But at the same time, for those of us who have, it's nice to have someone come alongside of us in love and say, God's still got it. God's still got it. We don't want to poo-poo your pain, but we don't want to glorify it either. God is still bigger. Anybody want to share anything before we wrap up tonight? Thoughts? I think Jeremiah 6.16 Read it for us good and loud, Fred. Uh, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. And he's referring back to the tried and true ways of uh, Judah Judah ancestors there. Mm -hmm. Ask for the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. You got it. At Jeremiah 6, 16. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. <laughs> I love what you Edo just said. When you're learning to rest, he then puts his yoke on you. And you go, oh, this is lighter than I thought. That's it. That's real good. Folks, don't try to do until you've learned to rest. And then God will teach you how to do from a resting position. But until you learn to rest, He's not expecting you to do a thing. Because anything you do outside of the resting position will be of the flesh. It will be of your independence. It will be burnt up. And it won't count for anything. Yes, sir, go ahead. You recommend resting Sunday afternoon, yes. Praise God. 
I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I reminds me, when I was dating Becky, and I'll wrap up with this, I was dating Becky. We have video. Her family learned to rest on Sunday afternoon, but it looked like a bomb went off in their house. People would sleep everywhere. I mean, it didn't matter. And it was hilarious. We'd be coming back on family vacation, and there'd be like... 18 people in the house, and it was only a like a 1,700 square foot house, and there's like 18 of us. And Becky has video of walking through on a Sunday afternoon and seeing people sleeping on the floor on a couch in a chair out on the back lawn in the yard on the grass. There were people. They were all just. It looks like a bomb went off in the house, and everybody died. It was awesome. It's one of our greatest videos. But folks, listen to me. We don't want to admit. That we rest. Maybe some of you don't. But let's be honest. Don't you hide when you rest? Oh, did I wake you from a nap this afternoon? Oh, no, no, no. And you were napping. Why are you afraid to say you were napping? Because we are supposed to look busy. And you ever notice how we say, how you been? Oh, busy. Like that's something to be proud of. I'm telling you, I am learning to rest. And it's, it is meaning more naps. It is... Stop trying to please as many people. And you know what? God is accomplishing way more. And, and I'll say something after we, we, we shut the tape off that I want to share with you. Go ahead, Rita. A couple of weeks ago, I heard a sermon, um, and the pastor was saying that we have too many distractions in our lives. That 95% of what happens is not... I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know if I would agree or disagree with the percentages because I, I don't know. But I would say it's way more uh, that we shouldn't be worried about that, than, than what we should be. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, this great time to study your word again. Thank you for the fact that I do believe you brought us encouragement tonight from this. Lord, we'll come back next week and look at this passage some more and take a look at, well, how did they have the gospel preached to them? And, and look at some other things in this section that we had to skip over for where you wanted us to go tonight. But Lord, my prayer is that as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that would be rooted and established in your love. And come to know the height and the width, the depth and the breadth of your love. Lord, he didn't pray that they would go do. This is right after he talked about how we're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He didn't then say, go do these good works. He then went into saying how you are doing something big by reuniting Jew and Gentile into one man. And you're doing something to display your glory to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms. And then Paul's prayer was not that people would hurry up and get off the pew and go do. The, their, his prayer was that they would come to receive by faith your love and learn to be rooted and established in the height and the width and the depth of it. And from there, you then accomplish all that you'd pre-planned to accomplish through us. Father, may we not do until we learn this resting. And Lord, as we as parents over the years had to put our kids down for a nap and they fought us, May you keep putting us back down on the pillow as we may resist you until we learn to rest. Father, thank you that this rest is going to be fully manifested in the life to come. But may we experience some of it now as you accomplish your work through us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.